Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together, and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast, or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. A program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So what is Centering Prayer and how can it transform your life? Welcome to episode number 114. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mike Smolka. He's a contemplative group and workshop facilitator and a dedicated teacher and student of contemplative practice and spirituality in the Christian tradition. So before we dive into this conversation, sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful and valuable recording. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kevin. Nice to be here. So how would you describe centering prayer? It's um, an intimate prayer method, right? It's really opening up to God's presence and God's action within in the time of the prayer, opening up to the possibility of transforming yourself Um through the prayer and in life. It's called prayer, but a lot of people would say it's meditation. Um, sure. You can, you can call it by any name you'd like. Right, uh, right. I guess it's the understanding of prayer brings a different um, spirit, brings a different attitude, I think, to yeah. the folks that participate in it. Because it truly is, uh, at the end of the day, a relationship or deepening in your relationship with God. Right. So I've been doing centering prayer for uh, maybe two months. Okay. And so what I do, maybe I'll just describe what I do. Sure. And that'll help the listeners understand. I sit down, Mm -hmm. talk to God. Doesn't need to last long, you know, 30 seconds, maybe a minute, depending on what's going on. Mm -hmm. Invite the spirit in, invite his presence. Mm -hmm. And then I usually say, be still and know that I am God, because I Mm -hmm. think that's one of the most important lines in the Bible. Mm -hmm. If if not the, I close my eyes and I go into a meditation. Mm -hmm. And anytime my mind wanders, I use what you would call a sacred word or term Mm -hmm. to come back to center. And I do that for about 20 minutes. Is that, is that about accurate? I like how you describe it. I I would maybe describe it a little differently. Um, You're really the objective of the prayer. If there's, if that's the right word. And, you know, as I progress on my own journey, words become harder and harder to use correctly. Um, yeah. There is really no objective to the prayer other than to really open yourself up to, to God's presence in action. And I think both of those, both of those terms, both of those concepts, those ideas um, are really important um, because we often think of God's presence, um, but God's action is just as important as God's, God's presence. So it's a prayer of letting go, of surrendering any expectation, surrendering anything that we may bring other than ourselves into the prayer. 
And uh, so we enter the prayer with this idea that um, we're there just to deepen our, our relationship in intimacy with God. And so uh, thoughts, uh, there's a great, uh, when I teach the prayer, uh, there's a great um, thing that I continue to use over and over again, kind of a, a reminder that thoughts are important. So thoughts are an important, integral, and normal part of the prayer. So when you say your mind was wandering, um, what did you mean by that? Because uh, I'd like to use you as a, as, sure. a, as a way to, to kind of um, educate folks sure, uh, sure. or or clarify some some stuff so when you say you're when your mind wanders yeah. you return to the the symbol the sacred symbol yeah so sometimes the mind my mind will go to uh, it could go to something that needs to be done mm -hmm. that day or it could go to you know my you know my inner child acting up sure. you know the critic yeah or it, you know yeah it could be a judgment um, and it just it just drifts from center. Okay. So in centering prayer, um, we allow our thoughts to come and our thoughts to go. So mm -hmm. we don't really focus on that. So a lot of so when you say wandering, it's kind of um, embedded in the prayer that your thoughts will come and thoughts will go. Right. It's kind of part of the prayer. Right. It's when we get caught in our thoughts. So if you got captured in your wanderings, if you got taken away on the trip. Right. Yes. Uh, or which, which you know, can what, happen, happens oh, to a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and but that's normal part of the prayer. You know, there's a famous story um, that's told in Keating circles. Uh, you know, Keating used to go out and teach centering prayer. And there was a story about him teaching to a group of nuns. And um, you know, they went into prayer and 20 minutes later, uh, one of the nuns came up to him and says, you know, Father, I'm just no good at this prayer, right? I just can't do it. I'm, I must have had 10,000 thoughts in the 20 minutes. And he comes back and he says, without, you know, skipping a beat, he said, isn't that wonderful? 10,000 opportunities to return to God. Mm. And, and that's really the meat of the prayer. It's our, it's not that we're trying to eliminate thoughts. It's not that we're trying to battle thoughts. We just let go of thoughts. Well, this, this comes back to be still and know that I am God. Exactly. That, that line is just so profound when you're still mm -hmm. and pretty much talking about the mind here, mm -hmm. God can enter. Yeah. And when we're, and part of that stillness is also not being concerned that we'll be distracted or not being concerned that our mind will wander or get caught up in those thoughts. There's a gentleness in the prayer because all we do is let go, right? When we notice that, all we do is let go. So that gentleness. So, so it, you, even if you use your sacred or sacred word or sacred symbol a hundred times, it's cool. Well, and, and again, it's that attitude of, isn't that wonderful? 10,000 times or 100 times returning back to God, right? Returning back to our intention, which is to consent to God's presence and action. So thoughts then become a friend. We're not battling with our thoughts. We're actually using them for the transformative process of letting go. And, and that transformation, that letting go, we bring into our lives. Can the sacred word or symbol, can it change daily or do you stick with the same one? Uh, you stick with the same one, right? So that's another myth to dispel. Not a myth, but that uh, sometimes, you know, and I've been told this um, by folks, um, they say my sacred word's not working. <laughs> There's no such thing as the word not, you know, working or not working. It's just a reminder about your consent so or a reminder of your intent to consent so the sacred word the prayer is very simple because what we do is we bring our intention into this time 
to consent to God's presence in action. Our sacred word reminds us of that intention. So it's not there to perform any magic. It's not there to do anything other than to interrupt our thoughts so that we can let them go. So a sacred word, um, and there's lots of different sacred words. Right? So we teach, typically when we teach the prayer, we teach it as a word, a short word. Um, but it could also be bringing your attention back to your breath. It could be uh, a sacred glance, right? So if you're more visually oriented, it could be a diffuse image. Mm. Right? So it doesn't have to be a word. It doesn't have to be a word. You could visualize, say, a mountain. Yeah, and and what you don't want to do is focus on it, right? Then that's the you want to you want to be able to glance at it. So as if um, you were distracted and you looked in a distance, and that would remind you to come back to being centered on God's presence and action. Is there a difference between having a word or a visual? Uh, it's just what works for you. Could you have both? Uh, you typically have one. I mean, okay. you stick with one. So you find one and, it, you know, you'll find a word uh, that will resonate with you, right? So typically when we teach it, we, we invite folks to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to kind of come up with a word, you know, let the word arise, if you will. You're not forcing it. It's not an intellectual exercise. You're opening to the spirit for a word to just arise. Can it be more than one word? Uh, the guidance is to be a short word, you know, one short word. Yeah. A syllable or two is is recommended. Yeah. Because uh, because a word, in essence, is a thought, right? And the thought is in, interrupts other thoughts, right? So it, it recenters you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's been it's been a good experience for me. So I'm I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious. Did that when I described it that way? Did that help to clarify the the term wandering, or does that did that change that experience for you of what it meant to wander? Sure. Okay. Yeah. It, it, you know, you give yourself freedom to wander, if you will. Yeah. And just bring yourself back, but yeah, the more you do it, the more your mind does not wander. The other, the other myth that I, I'd like to talk about when I teach this um, is getting to a point of not having thoughts. Yeah. You really, you really don't. I mean, you know, when you die, I guess you don't have thoughts. <laughs> but as long as you're living, just because you're human, you're going to have thoughts. What I like to say, though, is that you come to a point of stillness where the thoughts don't have that, that, sticky quality anymore right mm. because you're not fighting your thoughts or you're not fighting with the fact that or you, have you should gaps. or shouldn't have thought or you have gaps of or yeah well with thinking. that with that stillness you have gaps so this the the story that that i share about that is if you're out in nature you know if you walk in the spring or the fall especially we're getting close to fall you know you can come upon like a nice still pond like if you ever gone out into the into the woods and walked and come across a, a still pond like glass you can imagine it right like glass and then the geese land right yeah. the pond doesn't try to fight the geese it just lets them squawk and land and make all kinds of noise but by not opposing them the water just gets calm gets still after they're done with that with their noisiness right yeah. Same thing with a still mind. The more experience you have with with the prayer, the the stiller your mind becomes. So you can allow the thoughts to come in, but you're not opposing them. You're not finding them. You're just letting them go. And eventually, you get that point of stillness, that quietness, where the where the thoughts just, you know, you can let them be without disruption. Does the sacred word or visual mm -hmm. can it carry over into regular life yeah sometimes so that, so that mm -hmm. if you're driving 
and your mind wanders, you can you can throw your sacred word out there and bring yourself back to center. Yeah. Sometimes the sacred word becomes that anchor for you in life, right? You notice you need, you notice, and a lot of it is the noticing, right? When you notice you're getting caught up in your thoughts, that's when the sacred word comes into play. How but it's for, the noticing. How about for sleeping? Could Could somebody kind of lay there in bed and people are notorious for having trouble sleeping if uh, mm -hmm. their mind is racing sure could somebody use centering prayer for a few minutes to ease himself into sleep that's possible some people uh, actually it has the opposite effect some people when they do the prayer late at night it makes them more awake yeah so it's really it it really depends on on your experience with it um yeah yeah i remember hearing father thomas keaton say that that you know you might have more energy afterwards and that's why he recommends the morning well the morning and then you know the later in the afternoon sometime or you know i i it doesn't have that impact on me so if i do it too late i'll i'll fall asleep because it's it's very restful right for me and um and there's you know, it's very difficult battling sleep in the middle of the prayer, right? So I don't do it after a certain certain time, uh, just because if, especially if I'm tired, uh, I will fall asleep. Sure. So. What I find is that it's, it's helped me watch my mind mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. It's helped me be the witness mm -hmm. so your soul or your spirit can watch mm -hmm. the movie screen the practice is watching in a way right you're watching well you're not but you're not paying attention right you may may allow it but you're not really paying attention well right? it's it's like sitting on your front porch and a a, a, a flock of birds fly by mm -hmm. you see mm -hmm. the birds you only see them for five seconds or whatever and they're gone <laughs> Yeah, as long as you're not getting caught up in them, right? Yeah, yeah you don't don't get up and chase them. Yeah, don't get up and chase them. Get your get your phone out and snap a picture, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> what kind of results have you seen from um, centering prayer from a lot of your students and associates? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the biggest result is the ability to let stuff go more, right? And then. And the transformation of of a person, right? The classic fruits of the spirit um, begin to emerge in your life. You become more patient, become more loving. There's um, the the journey, the contemplative journey, the contemplative Christian journey, uh, as articulated by Keating, but also talked about by by Merton. Um, mm -hmm. Not in these terms, but if you look at how Thomas Merton's life evolved. Um, he kind of lived this this transformation. Um, it's taught as the four S's: silence, um, solitude, solidarity, and service. So that's kind of the transformation that these contemplative practices, um, centering prayer, and, and others have have had in my personal life, but I've also seen them in others where uh, you begin to um, crave silence. You know, when I first started to practice, I turned off the radio because I just didn't want the noise anymore, mm -hmm. right? So you begin to, to like, to, to relish that silence. Mm -hmm. With more time in silence, you begin to um, become comfortable with solitude, right? Where solitude isn't, necessarily loneliness <laughs> some people avoid solitude being alone because you know they get lonely you begin to uh find a presence in solitude you begin to enjoy those times more and more that you're by yourself because it's not a lonely time right. then that turns then the next s is uh solidarity you begin to through these experiences and just going deeper in who you really are, 
you begin to find this basic unity with others and with all of creation, right? This, this feeling that um, you're not this separate self anymore, right? That you're, that you're uh, enmeshed in, in creation, right? And then service out of that becomes this genuine desire to express this love from this solitude that you have in genuinely serving others. Right. A lot of people are taught service as a path to uh, to express their faith. Some do it as an obligation, mm. right? But when you go, when I when I've just personally experienced this in my own life and in watching others, service then just becomes something you need to do as an expression of that love from that you gain from that solidarity you feel with all of creation. Mm. Right, right. So it's the more it's, you know, in essence, it's basically the um, the growing, the the fruition of the true self. The witness. Yeah, the witness. Yeah, it's the true self that, um, you know, and it goes by by many terms, but that true self, that that deepest part of ourselves, right, mm-hmm. um, that that we find right in the silence in the solitude in the solidarity in in the service the kingdom is within <laughs> exactly right or as thomas merton would say the gate of heaven is everywhere mm. is it recommended that it's always 20 minutes or can it be longer or shorter oh it could be longer for sure shorter um 20 minutes um is a recommended time and the reason for that is that it takes about that long long to quiet the mind 15 to 20 minutes just to get the mind still yeah i've had experiences where i because you know you put the timer on the phone yeah and the alarm goes off and i'm just like i don't want to (laughs) stop but 20 minutes is convenient yeah for the day it really is it is it is and you know i'm i my typical time is a half an hour, but if I'm really challenged, um, as long as I get in 20 minutes, that, that seems to sustain me. You know, mm. it's half an hour for, you know, twice a day. Could someone just do five minutes somewhere in the middle of the day if they were sitting in their car and in the parking lot? And- I mean, some, some amount of time in silence, some amount of time in, um, in prayer is better than none 20 minutes is the ideal but if if you really um if you have an extra five minutes it's not bad to just be in silence right correct me if i'm wrong but this method uh was uh, made popular by father keaton Mm -hmm. uh, in the modern era but where did he get the where did he get it from yeah yeah so um i mean it's part of the 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 Christian heritage, um, desert fathers and mothers kind of started this I- idea, uh, third century, I believe, um, when Christianity became accepted in Rome, um, bunch of folks went off and said, um, well, we, we want to live in isolation. We want to live, um, on the fringes of society. And they really became the first monks. And they used, uh, they began to um, practice these contemplative methods, um, just being in silence, taking a, 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 a verse out of the Bible or a word out of the Bible, uh, and, and kind of just spending time with it. Uh, those practices evolved through um, through the monastics of the of of the ages, mm. um, and the mystics of the ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, centering prayer in particular was adopted from the cloud of unknowing. It was an English um, work that was uh, written, I think, in the 13th century, 14th century, somewhere somewhere around there. Um, and it described uh, the, the method, roughly, but it also described the transformation in the restructuring of consciousness. It was actually the first map of consciousness that uh, was recorded in in Christian history of the time. 
other maps like uh, Teresa of Avila, the, the the many mansions, the seven mansions came yeah. after that. Hmm. But this was the first kind of um, map of consciousness that went around the understanding of prayer. Yeah, is is this something that uh, you know Eckhart would have done? Meister Eckhart. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, he was a he was a mystic. He didn't, to my awareness, he didn't document a, a method of prayer. Um, but it really was um, just being, just just being with God, right? Just being with that source of of the divine that's within each of us. Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with Buddhism, but it is very similar to Vipassana. Mm-hmm which is watching the mind in meditation. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there that's more of a, an active, I, I don't know much about it. So you, you, you'd have to tell me a little bit more about it. And Buddhism also doesn't, it doesn't usually bring God into it. Yeah. Not that, you know, some Buddhists might believe in God and might not, but they just keep it out. Well, you can always get in trouble with God too. Right. I mean, meaning, that you your thought of God isn't God, right? Your thoughts of who God is, right, isn't who God is, right? And so, if you bring a concept of God into your prayer, then uh, or into your practice, then um, that could be a distraction. That could be um, that could be very much an ego. Um, you know, I think the common point. Well, there's lots of common points here amongst these practices, but the the letting go of the ego. Um, the diminishment of the ego is certainly core to to all of these practices. Mm. What do you say to another Christian that isn't down with this? Uh, there are there are many who they say, no, that's not in the Bible. That's a meditation. That's no way. I mean, what do what do you say to that? Well, I I would just point out that uh it is rooted in in christian practice through the ages um desert fathers you know all the all the mystics doctors of the church they don't even like the word mystics well you know but it's part of it's part of our christian heritage so you know because i've had interactions with folks that um that have warned me about the dangers of this right you know and i find that you know, they're, they're genuinely concerned for my welfare. Um, but when I, what I, what I talk to them about, um, is one, I, I, I go through the, the basics of the practice, but most of all, I say, spend some time with someone who does this for a while, Hmm. who's done this for a while, who has this as a practice, notice who they are, notice their actions, notice how they live their lives. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's written in the Bible, uh, judge them by their fruits, right? Mm. See the fruits of who they are and who they become, who they've become as a result of this practice Mm. and how they live their lives. Well, I I think there is sort of a movement of Christians who are, their their mind is is becoming a little more open. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the evangelicals, but um, a lot of Catholics and a lot of Baptist Christians, they go and do yoga or they get a meditation practice. And so it it is kind of opening up a little bit, I think. The word mindfulness is floating Mm -hmm. around. It's a buzzword now, right? Sure. But I mean, the, for me, it's not, it's not trying to do battle with folks. It's not trying to convince folks. People will be drawn to this practice that are drawn to the practice. Right. And those are the folks that I, I really want to work with. I, I've seen the, the transformation in my own life. I've seen transformation in the lives of people that, that I've worked with. I, uh, I'm very inspired by, uh, by a, a younger woman that uh, works in, um, in the nursing homes. She's been, she uh, attended a workshop just, at the end of uh well at the beginning of 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 covid um after for after first couple months of it and she adopted the practice and she's 
she and you know she comes back and says you know if it wasn't for me finding this practice and doing it on a daily basis i'd never be able to survive there um because all the you know all the pressures that she's under they're understaffed um nursing homes are understaffed seeing her patients and her staff her fellow staff members get covid some pass away um, so she's able to manage the difficulties of her life by having a practice like this and then being able to, um, to be transformed, to be able to let go of these different concerns that she has hmm. and, stay, um, and stay alert and focused uh, in, her, in her work, but also not be consumed by bringing it home afterwards. Do you do you do a lot of work in with the Bible with the students and associates as well? You know, go through verses and whatnot, and uh... it's not it's not really Bible based. I mean, we do okay. Lexio Divina, which is reading the Bible in a um, or Bible passages um, in in a in a method that allows us to kind of deepen and see the inner and personal meaning of those mm. passages to us. But that's a, a different practice. It's not uh, centering the, prayer. The, the metaphysics of it, kind of? Or... Um, well, it's opening up to, to the inspirations of the spirit, right? So um, centering prayer is often done before we do Lexio, just so that uh, we become more, more centered, more grounded in, um, in our true selves. So that we can then open up and hear God's and hear the meaning of these passages at a deeper level. What's welcoming prayer? So welcoming prayer is a companion practice uh, to centering prayer. Centering prayer is done, you know, maybe an hour a day, 40 minutes to an hour in a day. Uh, welcoming prayer um, can be done the rest of the day in the remaining 23 or plus hours. So welcoming prayer is just a, an opening up to, um, to ourselves, to the, the, uh, where we store different uh, emotions in our body, where we store trauma in our body. Mm. And rather than uh, allowing that um, to cause us to go into reactivity, we open up to experience that, inviting God's presence, again, presence in action in that feeling, in that body sensation, so that um, we can experience the sensation without having to react to it. It opens us up to a um, more responsive way of, of being in life, because a lot of our, um, let, me, let me give you an example. Um, so Keating, um, you know, I think one of Keating's best uh, contributions to Christian spirituality is taking a psychological view on prayer or the underpinnings of prayer. And so Keating uh, defines the underpinnings of the false self, the, the way we engage in the world normally, as our over-attachment to uh, security, affection, or control, which comes from our childhood, right? So we have a, not that those are bad, we need to be secure, we need to have a certain amount of affection, and we need to have a certain amount of control over our lives. Hmm. But um, because of events in our lives, we have um, set false um, expectations on how much security we really need how much control we really need, how much affection we really need. Yeah. And, um, and our reactivity comes from the desire to, um, to meet those at an excess, right? So the, the billionaire needs a billion more dollars because that'll make them either have more control feel more secure or feel better liked. That's an extreme example. But, um, but let's say uh, you're walking down the street or I'm walking down the street and I see you and you're deep in thought. 
and um, and I say hi, but you're so deep in thought that you don't even recognize me or you don't even acknowledge me. Right? You got something really stirring up in you. Mm-hmm. So I could I could walk by and I could say, you know, that Kevin guy, he must not like me. You know, we did that we did that podcast and he must not like me. He never acknowledged me, right? So if I have a attachment, an over attachment to affection, right, then I could react that way. Or if I'm overly attached to control, I could say, like Kevin, I don't care what was going on in his life. If somebody says hi to him, he should say hi back, right? I'm attempting to control how you should behave. Or security. That Kevin guy, is he mad at me? I'm, is he going to say something bad about me on some future podcast or you know something like that? So I have a, a, an over-attachment to security, right? I don't want to be harmed by you, right? All those are reactive, you know, they're, they're kind of dumb, right? All those are reactive responses that, um, that come from these, these places, right? My need for security, affection, control. Well, the way it works typically is those traumas, those things that caused us to have those um, overreactions, those, those over-exaggerated needs for those are stuffed in our bodies, right? They're feelings that we've repressed in our bodies because at the time we experienced those events, we didn't know how to process them, right? So they're stored in our bodies for us to be able to process at a later point. So the, the waterfall comes um, in that, well, when I see you, some feeling in my body starts to come up, like my chest tightens, or yeah. my stomach clenches, or my, my jaw gets tight, right? Yeah. If I'm able to catch that and be with that feeling, I don't have to go into that emotion, right? That feel that emotion. If I, if I can't do that and I can still capture the emotion and be with the emotion, I don't have to go into the story, right? So it's that cascade, it's that, it's that waterfall of, if I can be with the feeling in my body, I don't have to stir up the emotion. If I could be with the emotion, I don't have to stir up the story that I, you know, that I continually tell about yeah, yeah. why I'm feeling this way. You're, you're transmuting it right there on the spot. And then it's a prayer because you're inviting God's presence in action there. And there's lots of methods that do this, right? There's a, a Buddhist method. I remember reading about it in uh, Pema Chodron's book, I think it was. And you have this warrior attitude about being with this. And it's hard to be with these. It really is. I mean, that's why we've repressed them because they were hard to be with at the very beginning, right? They sting on the way out. <laughs> and they and they're hard, they're just as hard to be with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're there by yourself, right? If you have this warrior attitude, you're there still trying to face these things by yourself. Yeah. But if you're inviting an awareness of God's presence in action there, you're not feeling you're not by yourself anymore. No. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of of looking at this as a prayer practice because it's hard. These things are hard. And, you know, after practicing this stuff for years, it's hard. It's still hard. Right. But you're consciously inviting God's presence and action to be with you in that feeling. So you don't, you know, have to experience that emotion as bad. Right. You don't, and you certainly don't want to spin into those thought patterns. Yeah, this is what I'm going through now. I, you know, I talked to you on the email about it very briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like an emotional detox, you know, cleanse. And that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's a great way to put it because we carry this this stuff with us. We've carried it all our lives. Oh, it's coming up, man. Yeah. It just yeah. came up an hour ago before this podcast. I was, you know, doing some crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's at the point now where, I'm trusting the process. Yeah. And so it's not like a thing of why am I crying? This is weird. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, some more is coming up. Cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know if you read uh, Richard Rohr, but uh, he's been writing about grief and trauma the last couple couple uh, weeks. And, you know, he just remind, he reminded me it's the gift of tears, right? 
allowing that emotion it's a cleansing right allowing that emotion to come up right the more we fight it the more we repress it yeah uh the more we have to deal with it because it needs to be dealt with it needs to be dealt with and just like uh, um letting go in entering prayer we're letting go of our not of the emotion eventually we do right we're letting go of our resistance to experience it and and just let it come and and trust that god's presence and action and the action if you sit with it long enough sometimes it it goes away sometimes it'll get worse for a while but there comes a point where you feel the shift where the emotion isn't the same that feeling isn't the same there's a shift and that's i believe god's action that's the action of grace that's what i call grace right when that shift happens when it doesn't have that charge anymore yeah it's been it's been a while six months for me uh dark night of the soul some people call it Mm -hmm. speaking of christian mystics that made famous by uh john of the cross yeah john of the cross yeah Mm -hmm. what was he going through when he wrote that well he uh he had a very interesting life right um teresa of avila and he were were companions he was actually a director for her even though he was like 20 years younger than her uh, they were uh, on a mission to clean house, I guess, at the Carmelite order to to really kind of um, deepen their spirituality. Um, and a bunch of his brother monks captured him and threw him in a closet for a year. He escaped, but basically they beat him, threw him in a closet because he was trying to reform the order okay making change making change right and it was in that process um that he had some of his well he wrote some of his most beautiful uh writing his poems but he also had a very very much of a deepening uh with god and he he that was one of his dark night episodes during that time well, because I mean, because if you think about it, right, where's God? God's abandoned me, right? If you're John of the Cross to his brother monks, right? I mean, these people he knew, yeah, um, who 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 brutalized him, right? His brothers attacked him, yeah, uh, yeah. So the name Dark Knight of the Soul has now become synonymous with spiritual folks going through a episode (laughs) well and it's it's an invitation i mean i've come to understand it as the invitation uh, by god to to deepen right because in the dark night you lose touch with god typically right you lose touch with with the god that you know right because the god that you know is never truly god right it's the god that you know at the the time that you know right at the level of consciousness right that's that's really um, kind of another thing that that Keating um, that's a fruit of of this path of of Keatings and really all the contemplatives is the spiritual journey is really raising of our level of consciousness right level after level after level so when we begin to shift out of what's comfortable right um, that challenges us right it feels like death. It feels like um, this powerful trans transitions happening, and my world falls apart. Right, Losing and control. that's the time Losing where control. and yeah, you lose control. Well, you lose security, affection, control, whatever you, you know. Sometimes it's all three, right? There's there's typically one or two that um, that you're most attached to. Um, but um, but yeah, you lose all of those things that that made sense of the world to you because you're invited to a deeper level with God. Mm. And that's the power of letting go. Right. I mean, when you do practices like this, right. You're, you're training yourself, right. You're the transformation is in the ability to let go because then that allows for you to get through the dark nights. Cause it's an invitation. Those are, those are real invitations to let go. 
Yeah, a centering prayer might be a nice thing to integrate into a, a dark night. I'm not even talking about the episode of the dark night. I mean, an actual dark night, like a sleepless night or something. Could be. I mean, welcoming prayer, if you feel stuff coming up. In centering prayer, uh, there's lots of thoughts that come up. You know, these uh, the shadow, you know, the classic shadow comes up. You know, I'm so judgmental. You know, I'm so, um, you know, I can be cruel. You know, those just those those understandings of who you really are externally, right, as a person come up. And that's called the unloading of the unconscious. It's a kind of thought, you know, so when you're ready, um, that begins to happen. But again, it's for your own healing. If though the instructions are just let those go as as they come up, sometimes you can't though. And if you're really feeling in a bodily way, uh, the invitation is to then kind of transition into welcoming prayer to be with those feelings, mm. to be with those sensations in a bodily way. So then your focus is not so much to let go but to be with and let go of resisting being with. So you transition out of centering prayer to welcoming prayer. Now that's not, you know, you don't want to do that all the time, but if you find that you can't let that go, then the most helpful thing is to just admit that and sink into it. Yes. It always seems to come back to acceptance. Acceptance it's and right. letting go surrender. Yeah. Every tradition surrender <laughs> well that's how you let go of the ego right because the ego wants to be in control right? this is what jesus had to do being marched down to that cross yeah. yeah i mean in a lot of ways the spiritual journey is is dying it's it's our ego dying right it's the constructs we have to keep ourselves in control you know that that needs to be let go of so that we can um we can allow God to be in control. Yeah. So a lot of mystics would say that's the whole story of the crucifixion is mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, having to surrender, letting go, dying on the cross and being resurrected. And that's the mm -hmm. ego death into an enlightened being. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a path of, you know, some, uh, some Christian mystics, uh, we're having a program, uh, on, uh, Bernadette Roberts, and she wrote about her famous writing as the no self, right? Where um, you go beyond the true self, right? To just being that at one with God. There is no distinction between you and God anymore. No separation. No separation. Right. This is a big message in the famous book, A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. I've I've picked it up. I've begun to read some parts of it. I mean, I think there's, um, it's a big book. So it takes some time to digest. It's, and it's, it's supposedly Jesus. Yeah. It's Master J. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the key themes, forgiveness, love, you know, I think that's, um, that's very much in the Christian path. Right? Jesus taught forgiveness, right? Jesus was all about love, you know, certainly this unity, this unity consciousness um, is, is something that we strive for. Um, we strive to, to, to realize, be transformed into. Mm. Um, Saint-Thierre Bourgeau, um, you know, taught that, uh, actually believes that Keating, before he died, got to this place of no self. So from that standpoint, you know, there's, um, there's certainly resonance there with what the, with what i understand the course to have written yeah. but i'm not an expert in the course so that's as you know I, I know there's some themes there that that seem to resonate with my own understanding of, of christianity and my own experience of the practice did mert did merton reach his true self i i really appreciate uh, his work and you know he, yeah, teamed, yeah. he teamed up with Thich Nhat Hanh for a book if I'm not mistaken. Well, he didn't write a book with him. I mean, he had exchanges with him. He knew him. Yeah. Um, he wrote letters back and forth, but um, but I think that was the extent of their, their yeah. work together. Yeah. 
Thich Nhat Hanh still around. Yeah. Like 80, 89, 90. Yeah, yeah. So what is a spiritual director? A spiritual director. Um, a listener. <laughs> a listener. Uh, it really, it really just, as a director, you're really just listening to the person and you're, you're opening yourself, yourselves up to, with presence, with true presence, uh, to the inspiration of the spirit. Right? So in the conversation, you hope that the spirit shows up so that you can hear uh, very much like Lexio, um, you're hearing the inspiration of the spirit in what the other person is saying, right? So um, you may be speaking about an event in your life. You can be speaking about your dark night experience. And um, I may hear something that really resonates with me in terms of my listening to you and my being open to what you're saying and my being open to, to the inspirations of God that I can share with you. I'll repeat back to you, or I'll say, I heard this and, um, and something is, is saying this to me about it. Um, does that make sense to you? Does that resonate with you? So it's not a director in that I'm telling you what you should do or not do. It's really I'm listening to you and trying to hear what the spirit may be revealing in that conversation. Have you seen a lot of dark night episodes from people? Yeah, I mean, I've gone through some dark nights, I believe myself. Uh, I've helped some people through some dark nights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we say dark, I always put the word episode at the end because it's not necessarily just one dark night. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, I think it goes on. I think there are various dark nights. Uh, again, if you look at it as an invitation to go deeper with God, I, I don't think you're one and done. I think that that journey continues through your life. If you're true, you know, if you're if you're a true seeker, it's definitely deepened for me. Mm -hmm. It's different. I mean, I, I spoke to a friend the other day who went through it like three years ago. Mm -hmm. She said she, she had this one episode where she cried for six hours straight. Hmm. I was like, whoa. She's like, oh, yeah, the pain, the throat, the shoulders, everything was sore for weeks. Yeah. So yeah. that's a workout. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not easy. The spiritual journey is not easy. No. And the people around you don't really understand. They think you're just depressed or, you know, no, I mean, there, there, there could truly be some of that, but, um, but you know, if it's, if it's depression or if it's, you know, if you have a desire for God, just, uh, the, or the desire to deepen to the divine and, and you feel that absence, that's, that's usually what characterizes that dark night. Yeah. Yeah, regular depression is you don't want to do anything. You don't care. Yeah, you don't have any desire. All right, here you have a, a desire for God. You just feel a sense of absence. I had that for maybe a month. Mm -hmm. And then it just faded off into, you know, motivation to, to get better, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been into God, but I, I never put him first, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. That's, that's the typical, you know, I'd say that's probably how I, how I live a lot of my life, but that's the typical way that, that we do right in society, right? Because it's all about making a living. It's all about uh, succeeding. It's all about, you know, it's those energy centers, those needs for uh, security, affection, control. Right? Yeah. So apparently I just repressed <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff over the last few decades. Or Well, welcome to the human race, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 42. Mm -hmm. So now th there's the midlife thing there too, on top of it, right? <laughs> so let's throw that on top of it. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, it's like one thing of loss, grief mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. trigger this whole this whole episode it's very interesting 
Yeah. And and the invitation is to to let go of those things that that consumed you, right? For so long. Yeah. And trust that there's something better, something deeper, something more meaningful beneath it all. So a lot of it, a lot of a lot of the journey too that we're talking about in general is an evolution to trust. Right? You just need to to trust that there is something better. There's something more that there is something beyond these things that you're attached to, that we're all attached to, you know, and I, and I've got to be careful because I'm not aiming it just at you. I'm talking, this is the human condition. This is, you know, welcome to, to being human. Yeah. Emotions, heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah. 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 So I I had this one turnaround moment Mm -hmm. back in May. Mm -hmm. And up to this point, I'm really going through it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I cried for seven days straight and wow. I was freaked out because I was like, why am I crying? Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going through all this. No, I discovered, I was watching, I discovered Emmett Fox. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading some of his stuff and, you know, bringing God and the divine into your life. Mm-hmm. To, to bring more positivity and overcome your difficulties. And mm-hmm. so I was playing around with that. And uh, this one day I was, um, I think I just got out of the shower. I'm sitting there and I just start crying. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I crying? <laughs> What's going on? What's the problem here? Mm-hmm. And then sort of, Across my mind is the phrase i am loved by god mm-hmm. yeah. so then the tears turn to gratitude mm-hmm. so now it is a big crying episode good 30 minutes you know mm-hmm. now i am loved by god it's this big cleanse right mm-hmm. i finally get done i say i'm gonna go outside and get some air mm-hmm. i go out on the front porch and i look down and i notice there's this one little white flower mm-hmm in a whole lawn of green grass. There's just mm-hmm. this one little flower. Mm-hmm. I never noticed it before. I sit on the porch all the time. Sure. I get up. I, you know, play with my, you know, touch it with my finger. I took a picture of it. I still got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, what's this little flower? Mm-hmm. Is he, is he hearing me? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I told my mom about it and um, she looks at the flower later on. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, that's the star of Bethlehem. What? What? No, I Google it. Star of Bethlehem. Yeah. It's yeah. the flower, the star yeah. of Bethlehem. Yeah. On top of that, mm-hmm. on top of that, mm-hmm. at the time I was taking some Bach flower. You ever heard of Bach flower remedies? Mm-mm. No. They're these little little tinctures that help alter your mood. Okay. You mm-hmm. know, non-medical. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have this little tincture. Mm-hmm sitting on my bureau mm-hmm. of the star of Bethlehem, <laughs> which is supposed to be for grief. Wow. Yeah. I was like, this is too, this is not ironic at all. Yeah, yeah. And that Syn- was synchronicity is a thing. And that, and from that point on things turned around, I mean, I'm still in it, but yeah, but there's hope, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that comes with trust, right? I mean, trust, precedes hope i think and when you when you surrender right to trust then hope arises then this is just a you know a, a, a visible sign of that but what needed to happen though is that in inner transformation happened first and here we are almost three months later yeah <laughs> just trusting my way through yeah <laughs> Uh, so Mike, where, where can people come find you and say hello? Yeah. So, uh, I've got a lot of different places that they can do that. Uh, probably on my website, I need to do a lot more work up there, uh, invialumin.org, something that I, um, I don't spend enough time revising. So, but that's a a good contact place for me. Invialumin. Now there's a word you don't hear often. Yeah. It's, it's Latin. It's on the in the way or on the way light, so that's kind of my inspiration is to 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 help people shed a little light on the way. 
And that's I-N-V-I-A-L-U-M-E-N.org. Dot org, yeah. Very cool. And you're also doing uh, centering prayer groups? Uh, I do a, a, a centering prayer group at Holy Family. I coordinate the Christian contemplative experience there. It's a, it's a bunch of, um, it's a structured program for Christian contemplatives. So um, we do monthly Saturday meetings and we do introductory workshops to different practices, um, do retreats. Um, India Lumen also has a link to the Merton Society locally that I coordinate. Um, and I also coordinate, I'm the coordinator for contemplative outreach in the state. So very lots of different coordinating activities. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. It was a, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.